make it an important point to learn Torah every day. Many do Dafyomi, many study Tanachyomi or the 929 Project, but others are just looking for a meaningful way to make Torah learning part of their daily schedule. And that's why I'm so passionate about Mishnayomi and the Mishnah Project. Mishnah is amazing, it's concise, it's clear. You learn so many critical topics and points of information about Shas, and you can cover ground. You can learn Masechta, uh, and then another Masechta, and before you know it, you've learned a Seder of Mishnah, you've covered a tremendous amount of Torah material just by spending 10 minutes a day. So won't you join the people who are proud of their Torah learning, their daily learning in the Mishnah Project, you can find the Mishnah Project and join our WhatsApp group or our Telegram group or learn on our website at mishnah.co. That's mishnah, M-I-S-H-N-A-H dot C-O. Join now because on November 17th, we finish Seder Zerayim and begin Masechet Shabbat and Seder Moed. What a great opportunity to join the Mishnah Project. Have a great day. everybody. Welcome to another edition of RZ Weekly. My name is Ruben Spolter. I'm here with Hi Ramanit Malibreski. Hello, Ramanit Malibreski. Hello. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Now you can't hear me? Can you hear me oh, now? now? I can. Here we go. Okay. And Rav Johnny Sullivan. Hello, Rav Johnny Sullivan. Hello, shalom to all our listeners. And we have with us today a special guest, Rav Yitzhak Blau, who is the Rosh Yeshiva and Shana Betram at Yeshiva Oraita in Yerushalayim. Rabbi Blau is also a good friend, and I know him even way back from our YU days. But that's, hello, Rabbi Blau. Great to be with you guys. Okay, good to have you. We, had a, we asked Rabbi Blau on because he has uh, recently been posting really fa- fascinating posts on his Facebook feed, and if you're not a friend of his, you should be, trying to summarize some of the articles that appear in mostly in the, would you say in the in the in the Shabbat in the Musaf Shabbat of Makor Rishon? Definitely mostly Makor Rishon, although from various sections. Various sections of Makor Rishon. And so we thought it, this is a real like one of the things that we talk about on our podcast, uh, as all of our regular hundreds of regular thousands of regular listeners uh, know, one of the things we talk about is the intersection between the religious Zionist world and in, in Israel and the modern Orthodox world in America, because they're not the same. They, they interact with each other, they intersect with each other, but they have different issues, they have different concerns, and they have different awareness as well. And so that's one of the things that we got the sense that uh, you, Rablau, are trying, to, are trying to, to ameliorate in some way. So if you could speak a little bit about what got you started on this little project, how's it been going, and uh, what, what are your thoughts about it thus far? Okay, so I've thought for a while that there's a bit of a gap between the discussion happening here in Israel in the Dati Lumi world and the discussion happening for the sake of argument in America in the modern Orthodox world. And there are important things going on that the two worlds are not aware of vis-a-vis each other. Uh, For the purposes now of getting this discussion focused, I'll focus more on Americans' awareness of what's happening in Israel. And Mm -hmm. I would say, I, I don't know if I should, want me to be start with a shorter or longer presentation, but it seems to me there's uh, three good reasons why... You're the guest, okay, so however fine. you want to do it. <laughs> the, good, the good news, even when I'm long, for other, compared to other people, it's short. 
So the, uh, I, I would say there's three good reasons why that's a problem that Americans would not know what's going on in the discourse in Israel. Okay, the, the first thing I would say is, well, first of all, just th there's good material, we should know about it. But it. The first thing would be it goes both directions. Like if an American should know what, uh, I don't know, Rabbi Shlomo Zucker is writing, if an Israeli should know what Shlomo Zucker is writing about in America, so an American should know what Rabbi Avram Stubb is writing about in Israel. But that, I admit, that cuts both ways. It's just we should all be aware of where good Torah material is to be found. However, beyond that, I would say further. One does not have to be the most ardent Zionist in the world to say that the state of Israel is currently the home or the center of Jewish life. But I, I think we care more about what happens in Israel than we care about what's happening in other countries, even though the other countries might have Jews living there. At that point, I think it's a bigger problem to be unaware of the discourse here. Right? To be unaware that Americans follow the news about Israel, they want to have an opinion about what's happening in Israel. So I think, I don't need an opinion, I admit, I don't really have a strong opinion about what's happening in English Jewry right now. I hope uh, Johnny's not insulted. Okay? And I don't feel a need to, no, I don't feel need to do tremendous research. But I think, you know, chutzlar, it's Jews who care, want to know what's happening in Israel and tend to have an opinion. So if they're not aware of what's actually being published and said here, to some degree, they can't really have an informed opinion. So that, again, that I said would not go in both directions. I think that only goes in one direction. The third thing I would say that's also one-directional, and hopefully I'm not insulting anybody in the diaspora here as well, I just think there's more going on here. I think there's more interesting things going on here, more varied things. I'll give you one example. Uh, let's say we list all the modern Orthodox uh, higher education institutions in America. Okay, so, again, post-high school. So I think we'd have to debate, like, you know, is the number one or two? Like, that would be the discussion. That is not a tremendous amount of institutions. And every institution has its own narrowness. And then you go to Israel and you think about all the different flavors of yeshivot hezder, all the different flavors of mechinot, all the different seminaries there are, midrashot, right? They are so different from each other. And all these interesting personalities who are, again, quite different, whether it's Rav Avram Stav, as I mentioned, or Rav Chaim Navon, or Rav Eli Ofran, or Rav Yuval Shurlau. I just think there's a more varied and interesting world going on here. So again, just to sum up, uh, and again, I hope that was short for this purpose, uh, I think in general we should be aware, and that does code both ways, maybe Israelis should know about good American writing. Number two, if Israel is really the center of our universe, so it's more of a need for Jews around the world to know what's going on here. And thirdly, I actually think objectively that there's more varied and interesting things going on here. So that's my opening statement. Okay, aside from your opening statement, just give me one example so our listeners have an idea of what you're talking about, because you're talking generally, of course. But give an example of, of an issue that's going on here, a discussion that's taking place here that you wrote about, let's say, recently for people who haven't followed your feed that you think is an important thing just for people to be aware of. Okay, great. Um, so let's start, if I can, can, with a pamphlet that a fellow named Rav Michal Avram wrote, which I didn't even uh, list just now, but I think it's an interesting pamphlet, where he wants to say that there's a gap between uh, religious Zionist rabbinic leadership and where the religious Zionist community actually is. That uh, the leadership tends to be, for lack of a better term, more Hardali, right? More to the right within the religious Zionist community. Again, people like Rav Drukman or Rav Dov Lior uh, or uh, Rav Zalman Malamed, the older Rav Malamed. And he says that's not where most of the community is. And he says we end up with this gap uh, between the rabbinic leadership and the sociological reality, which he thinks is problematic. And um, 
he, regarding various issues, we actually end up with the wrong split, he says, because the split we tend to think is a split from 30 years ago. Like, what is the essential religious split in Israel? There's the Haredim, and then there's the Dati Lumi. That is the essential dividing line, okay, which was true for a long time. But given the growth of the Kardal universe, uh, can I assume that our listeners know what Kardal is? Okay, yes, great. you can. Okay, great. So given the growth of the Kardal universe, on many issues, the Kardal and the Haredi world are very close. Right? Obviously, they still differ on the state in Zionism. But one of the things Rabbi Avram argues is that the Haredim have become more sympathetic to the state. And at that point, the gap between them and the Kardalim is not so tremendous. So maybe the dividing line is now different. Maybe the dividing line is now there's a more conservative religious voice, which includes both the Haredim and the Kardalim. And there's a more liberal religious voice, which would be the, the rest of the religious Zionist community. Now, I'm not discussing... Wait, so it's really interesting. To me, that sounds two things. First of all, that sounds... Uh, where is this pamphlet again? I, I, don't, okay, so I never he, saw that pamphlet. So he... Uh, see, Ruby, you got to read my feed more seriously. Okay, but, I know. Uh, I got to follow you more carefully. But, uh, Facebook you is know, never... I by checked the way, you today because I wanted to be prepared. I did not see that. You think about doing a uh, newsletter like, because Facebook does... Or like a newsletter because Facebook doesn't always show everything right. that you write. Oh, that's true. So if I wanted to see you, I'd have to subscribe. Okay. Johnny will tell you how to do it. Okay. okay. Anyway, Thank you. where did it appear? So, right, he, where did it so appear? he published it as a pamphlet, but he, I guess someone paid for it. it one week of Macquarie Shown, it came. They often have like a separate pamphlet that represent different organizations. Ah, so like sometimes ah, okay. Manach Chaim has a pamphlet. So they had Rav Michal Avram's pamphlet. You could, get, you could receive it on his website if you want. So, so yeah. the second thing I was going to say is that sounds very much like modern orthodoxy, where there's a leadership, where there's a rabbinic leadership that's somewhat, and maybe not more, a lot more than somewhat, to the right of the, the Hamonam, generally. That's a general, it's a fascinating phenomenon. You, okay, you, uh, thank you for that example. Very interesting. Somebody to talk about. I'm going to turn it over to Johnny. Well, I actually want to pick up on two things you've said. Number one, in terms of that second point, how... Uh, diaspora Jews should know what's going on here in, here in Israel. But then you spoke about discourse, and I think there's a difference between events and discourse. Events are particular facts that are happening. Even the, the example you just gave isn't a particular moment. It's a trend, or it's a way of seeing things. And so I want to ask you, I agree that diaspora Jews need to know about events. I agree also, because I live here, that we should be talking about and sharing this discourse. But why is it crucial to know this discourse? Why is that such value added? Point number two, you mentioned uh, Michal Avram. Just a quick aside, we're, we're using this name as if people know this name. He's, you know, been in many ways a, a provocateur uh, and a fascinating uh, thinker and writer for many years, published many books. Um, and we're presumably people have even heard of his name. I'm not so sure about that, certainly outside of Israel. But also, you're speaking as if his voice is agreed upon within the average religious Zionist world, which uh, I, I would seriously question. As it happens, I was uh, in a course, a Rabin course, uh, in, the, in the Herzog Center, not far from here, uh, and he was one of the guest speakers some years ago. And how people related to Michael Avram in terms of ideas he shared from across... Uh, cross-section of the religious Zionist community was itself fascinating. So you, if people should know his name, but he's been around for a while. How come they don't? And uh, even if he says this, does it matter? Because does everybody actually agree with these conclusions? Okay, should I respond now or wait for Molly? Ma okay. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, terrific. Please. Okay, very good question. So let me say a couple of things. Number one, 
maybe because I'm just an intellectual person. So when I said what's happening here, I admit I was thinking more of the intellectual discourse and less about, let's say, political events or formation of the government or things like that, uh, which I think does matter. I think ideas matter, and the people who care about ideas should know about which ideas are being talked about over here. I, I would also mm -hmm. say, secondly, that sometimes there's not a, there isn't a neat split between uh, ideas and what's happening even from like the event perspective. Uh, I think this is a good example. Like right now, without picking, even getting into a, a deep discussion, but there's been a lot of question, like, did the religious Zionist community make a mistake by supporting, let's say, Itamar Ben-Gvir and Bezalel Smotrich? So that's an event, but certainly that's an event that's connected to uh, the world of ideas. I don't think one can make an easy split mm -hmm. there, right? Well, what, are, what, what interesting thinkers yeah. are saying touches on both those issues. I don't know if that's an issue of thinkers. To me, that's much more an issue of being here and, and having an understanding and a perception of, the, of life here. That's more, to me, that's than... than, than than you know, like the, in the world of ideas, but you could say it's also in the world of ideas. But I'm I'm not sure. I'm sorry, I interrupted. No, that's you. fair. That's fair. But you know what? Even if you're right, I would still say that's a service someone here could provide to let you know American Jewry know the feeling of an Israeli on the street or an Israeli from Lod and Ramla and things like that. Right? I think that that would be worthy. I admit it's less of my focus. But it would I mean like if you had like a podcast where you were talking about things that are going on in Israel and you're trying to explain to an audience in America, something right. like that. Right. <laughs> Uh, Can't imagine anything like that, Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> I, in terms of Michal Abraham, look, Rav Johnny's right. I, I'm not saying that he is like you know the most important thinker or the most influential thinker, but this particular pamphlet I think is incredibly thought-provoking. And even if someone who thinks it's wrong, I say should, would say should be aware of it, right? You should be able to mm -hmm. formulate why it's wrong. Like if he's right that the split has shifted and that there's a gap between the rabbinic leadership and the populace. So that could affect our thinking about what we're doing educationally in Israel, uh, which rabbis we should be turning to. So I would say whether or not we're going to vote for Michal Avram as our scholar of the month, right? This is a pamphlet that every thinking Jew or every, know, every thinking Orthodox Jew should be aware of. Molly. Okay, so I have a, I have a qu following question for you, Yitzi. First of all, I have to say that I did, I have been following you. And as I said before, even though I also didn't see the Michael Abraham, I did look today just to kind of see what you had been posting and how you're posting it. Um, and I want to kind of use this as a, a introduction to my question, which is that you do a very admirably, admirably, if that is a word, um, good job of impartially summarizing the case and the art and the articles and even if you have a um position on it i think you're very careful to differentiate between sometimes you'll say i tend to agree with this more than that um but i noticed that you are actually very good at laying out the the positions on the sides unbiasedly okay now that being said that kind of leads me to to my question which i think johnny's question even enriched for me, right? Because underneath Johnny's question, I think his, his two points were the following. Events and ideas, right? So an event is relatively, um, let's say, boundaried and simple, right? So it's easier to convey um, the facts of an event, even perhaps the analysis of an event, but ideas and trends are much more complex and therefore they're much harder to convey or to kind of have discourse and dialogue about from cross community and cross-culturally, right? Um, and the other thing I think that that was underneath Johnny's question was 
So, you know, Johnny's like, people don't know who this person is, right? That shows, like, if you don't understand who a player is, right? Let's say, I remember it even happened, like, and it's a very typical Facebook phenomenon. I remember what it, I remember what it was. It was when um, Rabbi, Dave, Rabbi Professor David Berger said something, I forgot what, and somebody attacked him, like, who is this Berger anyway? I'm like, <laughs> okay, you, you know what? I, didn't, I don't remember what it was. I don't know if it was the Messiah book or what it was, right? But, like... Who is this burger guy anyway? Like there was there was such an one of the flaws of social media is that it's such a shallow discourse that that you know that 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 can lead to very severe pitfalls when it comes to complexity, right? And it comes to having real nuanced um, balanced discussion. So I'm wondering and and again, I, I was the one who said like this is what our podcast is. But I think we, when we when we discuss these issues, for example, we were thinking about having an issue that involved America and Israel. So I said I want to have this conversation, but I think we have to be careful about talking about what's going on in America because we don't really know what's going on in America. Um, as Ruby suggested, maybe we should bring That's somebody on. Never really stopped on. us before, truth be honest. No, but we've always been careful. <laughs> we've always pointed out we're talking from an Israeli perspective or what we remember from twenty years ago. And you had said let's bring an American guest, right, to talk from an American vantage point which I thought was a very good good suggestion. My point here is there's so like to me, one of the pitfalls. And I know I'm talking to um, Johnny, who's always talking about the positives of social media. And the irony, you see, is that you are, you know, like your wife calls you a Luddite. Do, do you know what I'm saying? You are hyper aware <laughs> of, of the dangers of of modern social media. You don't even Believe in having te- a television, right? I can I can say that on the podcast. Everybody can read Yitzi's most excellent article about that. Um, so, I, I, my you really cons- need a newsletter, Lindsay. It's got to be like <laughs> you don't <laughs> watch Israeli TV. By he the way, he does not have a television. It's a great article be- because he's not an Orthodox. I'm giving away the title thank of the you, article. Thank you. Uh, How can you talk about being Israeli without watching Israeli TV? <laughs> you know, it's really terrible. As an aside, now like the whole world it now realizes that all of Israeli TV is for free. Because of the Mondial, it's on every computer in the in, in the country. <laughs> okay, that's, so that's another cultural divide. Point. It's really as a total side point. Americans have no knowledge of the World Cup or don't care about it, and it's hard to explain to people how big of a deal it is even here, uh-huh. even and, as, and what you know, it's and also like the whole anti-Semitism piece that yeah. the Israeli news. It's very interesting. Fascinating. Anyway, my point is, well, we digress. Is, okay, I know this is my this is like my bottom line. Like I'm going to say it in the most hard-hitting way I possibly can. Right, my concern about about Facebook. Is that it's a giant? It's a giant Migdal Bavel. It's a giant tower of, ba- of Babel, where like everything becomes flattened, discourse becomes shallow. People, everybody thinks they understand everything, where really nobody understands anything, and 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 like you end up in a babbling, especially Facebook, like like a like a, you get lost in a in a tower of Babel with a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. Um, and th- this, and and sometimes it's even dangerous. So sometimes I'm even really concerned. Like sometimes I feel like let a tempest in a pe- teapot remain a tempest in a teapot, right? If some rabbi says something ignorant here, do we really have to like freak out the entire American Jewry? And I'm not talking about the Ben Gvir Smutrich, right? Where I think even there, Israelis and Americans, I know I've been talking to some Americans, they really feel the divide. And I'm trying so hard to explain the Israeli perspective and it's very, very hard to convey. Um, and so, like, are we actually doing our communities a favor by doing what you're doing? And I'm saying this even when I see to your tremendous credit that you are probably the most clear and impartial kind of translator of these ideas. But are you concerned at all about 
this issue that actually does concern me because I, I do sometimes see the unhealthy elements of this Again, and it works the other way too. I don't think I think Israelis comment about American issues when they don't really understand them, and it's also not so healthy. Okay, it was worth it to come on this podcast just because of the delicious irony of the current moment that I am going to have to defend social media. It's really amazing. I, <laughs> Absolutely, true. I have no idea how this happened. Okay. It, no, you know. By the way, you don't have to defend social media. You might want to defend sharing and promoting, you know what I'm saying, ideas. It doesn't have to necessarily no, be I'm saying specifically because Yitzhi's doing it on, on right. social media. Look, Because if Yitzhi wanted to write an article for the Orthodox Forum, that would be more, I would expect that more, and I would have less of, okay. my question would not be in place. Look, I'm tremendously sympathetic to your question, and it's something I struggle with, meaning my old mode before I, I started, I guess it, it came in stages, like stage one was actually agreeing to get a smartphone, stage two was blogging for the Times of Israel, and stage three was getting a Facebook page. And some of me still says I should stop doing all that and just write traditional articles. That's all I should do, right? That is where real depth is to be found. We have an ex extended analysis, etc. And I'll even say, Ruby said something correct to me. One of my summaries was a summary of an exchange between Rabbi Amnon Mazak and Rabbi Ido Fachter. And he said that my summary mm -hmm. didn't do Amnon justice. And quite frankly, he's right. That is the nature of a shorter presentation. So I, I agree with all of the above. And um, Dafka, I wanted to talk about that discussion. It's a really important discussion. Correct. That has a lot of relevance just, in America as well. Just to let you know, um, just to let you know, I'm in the middle of writing an essay about that whole, uh, okay, great, whole situation. But I guess, Molly, everything in life is about balancing uh, different causes and different values. Okay, so can you sharpen for me what you sure. think the benefit is okay. that's greater than the potential great. negative? Okay, so I think that I, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but even my fellow modern Orthodox intellectuals, many of them now are more likely to read a Facebook post than a traditional article. Now, I think that's on some level- I was, I was gonna say, you could write traditional articles, but all eight of us are gonna read it. Correct, so on some level, I, I know- I mean, that, that's not a knock on tradition, yeah, it's yeah. a knock on people Maybe, reading I know, right. I don't use the word tragedy, I need uh, to, that's a sad thing, it's a sad statement. But it's a sad statement, but it still might reflect the social reality. So if I'd like to make a positive impact on the community, so at some point I decide, okay, so we all draw our lines. So I, I think I said Facebook, yes, you know, Twitter and Instagram, no, right? That there's something uh, that there is, maybe I think it is possible to do some positive even within the confines of Facebook, where other aspects of social media, I, I don't think it is. So that's what I try to do. Um, I think, uh, good. I think I'm a pretty good summarizer. I actually think I'm not such a creative, innovative thinker, but I think I'm very good at amassing material and summarizing it. In fact, uh, uh, this was uh, once uh, my second son was trying to get my daughter to study for a test. So he said to her, why don't you study with Abba? Because he's great at skimming material and asking questions, right? So uh, I guess if I have a skill in life, maybe that's the skill. Right, so I think I've done a pretty good job of... Aside from being a Rosh Yeshiva <laughs> and a Magid Shir. Right? Maybe, you know. Thank you. And by the way, Molly, some people even told me that some of my Facebook posts are too long. Right, that uh, I don't understand the medium, because why is... What are you doing in the fifth paragraph in a, in a Facebook medium? But my basic answer to your question is, there is a loss in terms of the... Uh, I know, making it simpler, simplifying it. But I think in the overall cost benefit, I actually, I still at this point, I'm happy that I'm doing it. I think that it does. Okay, work. I have to ask one quick follow-up question and then- In a minute. Well, okay, I can ask a follow-up we'll question right after our brief break. Stay with us. 
Shalom, this is Rav Johnny Solomon, and I would like to tell you about the services that I provide to men and women around the world. Firstly, if you have a she'ilah, a halachic query or a halachic topic you would like to learn more about as it applies to your life, and you feel that you don't have a Rav with whom you can discuss this question, I offer online halachic consultations. Secondly, if you have some theological or spiritual query, or if you're in need of some chizuk, I provide spiritual coaching. And lastly, if you'd like to learn about a particular Torah topic, I offer one-to-one -one learning. For each of these services, you can book an appointment for a small fee at my website, rabbijohnnysolomon.com, which seamlessly, with the magic of Calendly, then appears in my online calendar. And within a few minutes, you'll receive a message with a Zoom link. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking with you. Okay, we're back. Molly, yeah, you had a follow-up question very, for Rabbi And then I have a then I so have does a Johnny, question. I think also. My very brief follow-up question is, Yitzi, when you write, do you think about, um, are you careful when you formulate to think about how you're presenting the issue because you're aware of like, you know, spontaneous combustion landmines underneath? And are, does that inform the way that you present issues? Or you just kind of, Choose something that's interesting to you, write it up, and that's it. Meaning, is the is the issue that concerns me on your mind when you do this, or your like your answer was simply, listen, I gotta just, I gotta use the medium because it's here today, which I agree with. But then I'm asking, do you also think about the nature of the medium and this danger when you actually write your posts? Look, that's a good question. I don't think it's at the forefront of my consciousness, but I think there are two factors that make it easier for me. Okay, you know, I speak a lot with Molly, so she knows that I am very adamant about uh, being able to be critical of the right and the left. So that's true about my own writing, and I try to do that in the things I choose to summarize as well. They, again, I'm not always successful, but that's so I think it, from the get-go, I'm trying to create a more balanced impact, which of course doesn't always satisfy everybody. In fact, maybe it satisfies nobody, but I think that's one thing I'm doing. The other thing I would say is maybe it's a little bit better when I'm summarizing somebody because to some degree, I'm not even taking a stand. I'm saying, here's an interesting idea. What do you think? Like I did, I, I, just to clarify, I don't always do Torah things. I did Micha Goodman's review of the, the autobiography of Benjamin Netanyahu. I thought it was a fascinating review. And whatever position you have on Micha Goodman or Netanyahu, I thought it was worthy to check out these ideas. And in that sense, I think it's a little bit easier for me because it wasn't like Yitzhak Blau was taking a strong stand on Netanyahu. He is saying what, how Goodman sees the book. So I think those two things have made it easier for me. It's interesting. Like, I think Molly, so till now, there hasn't been like a blow up or flare right. up in the comments of my, my stuff. But I imagine there will be at some point, but maybe my methods are working. So I, I have a couple of, like now that I think about it, I'm, I'm thinking a few things. One, maybe you really do need a newsletter, like a blog where you can send it as an email for a very simple reason. Because A, Facebook is not meant for long posts and people don't read longer things in Facebook whereas they will in a blog. The second thing is also you don't link to the articles necessarily, because meaning if somebody would actually want to know, you know, what do they say, if they're able to read it, maybe it would be worthwhile to be able to link to it, you know, so they could find it. And, uh, and the third thing is I agree, I think with uh, what Johnny said, or somebody said, Molly maybe, that not everybody knows who these people are. And I think it might be worthwhile to explain, like if you write Micha Goodman, like if I was living in America, I wouldn't necessarily know who Micha Goodman was. And it's important for people to sort of get to know these players also. That all being said, um, 
my, my question is maybe like as my follow up with my comment from you on Facebook, maybe like a less is a little more like you try to cover a few articles at a time and maybe it'd be better to sort of flesh out what the sukkah machloket was, you know, what uh, what um, uh, the, the response was, the complaint was in the article before and, you know, why Amnon Bazak was responding to it as opposed to just like because I, I felt like you had like if I had read what you had just said, when you, were, you wrote about it, it was a very brief summary. I wouldn't really understand why it was an important issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you, how, do you, how do you balance the push and pull of, of the less versus more of sharing the ideas behind an article or just like sharing that this issue is out there? Okay, so let me just briefly go through everything you've said. A, you're totally right that I should link to the articles. I totally agree. Uh, B, in terms of people not knowing them, I would say that's precisely part of what I'm trying to do. You're right, though. Maybe in the case of Michal Goodman, I should have explained who he was. You're totally right. But, for example, Rav Avram Stav, I think, is a great example of someone who writes interesting material. I imagine the average pretty knowledgeable guy from Queens has never heard of him. Right? So, or thinks he's Rav Stav's son, so he's like, I don't know, right? super liberal, so high or whatever, which right. might be true, but whatever. Okay. But um, so at that point, it could be I should do more, but that, that's exactly what I'm trying to accomplish, meaning... Uh, Americans should know about the interesting voices here in Israel, right? So that, that's part of it. Um, in terms of the sometimes less is more, the truth is I, I'm not sure I can answer because I feel like I'm not a little new in the game, so I'm still feeling it out. So I'm not sure I have like a definitive position on I'm going to do like X amount of articles a month and uh, this will be the length of what I'm doing. So, um, it, you know, it's really just something I have to think about. I'm not sure... Uh, I've arrived at a conclusion yet. I'll just say one last thing. I do have certain pieces which start on my Times of Israel blog, and then I link to it on the Facebook page. So those tend to be longer, and I assume people are not, I hope they're not going to complain that it's too long as a blog. But I, I do have that outlet in terms of a, a longer forum, which I just link to on the uh, Facebook page. Johnny. Well, thank you. Well, I mean, there's so many interesting points being raised. Uh, I do want to talk about two different points they're separate but i want to throw them in otherwise uh when we start with one we may forget to return to another so uh ultimately four of us are talking about a hebrew language newspaper and we're in particular currently speaking about point number two namely uh, the importance of uh providing a platform for the contents of that newspaper and and the surrounding literature uh, both in terms of events and discourse, to be shared uh, across the pond and elsewhere. My question number one is, is, you know, what is the state of Ivrit literature reading uh, in the diaspora uh, to ask whether that is um, a possibility for the material to be read in its original um, in the States and elsewhere? Obviously, there are individuals who can. You and I both know that. But Bagadol, is this a newspaper uh, and that could and should be made available there? At the moment, my understanding is in print is in Israel and then online a couple of days later, certain bits are made available on the website. Um, uh, that's uh, point number one. And my general feeling is generally Israeli literature is referenced less and less from pulpits and in other shirim. And I wonder why, although obviously I have some suggestions. Uh, a second question relating to point number one, which is we're speaking about uh, conversations here in Israel being shared to diaspora Jews. 
But what diaspora conversations should be being shared here in Israel? Uh, is anybody doing that? Who is doing that? You know, obviously articles and books are available. But just like with Makoshan, sometimes there are conversations in newspapers or in blog posts that don't quite make it to articles and books, but do deserve to be shared. So you can choose to start with whichever one you prefer. Uh, number one, Ivrit, just in terms of access, in terms of uh, readability and, and um, skills and literature, etc. And number two, what should be imported from outside of Israel here into Israel? Okay, you really hit that. The first one is very dear to my heart. Uh, I wrote an article actually in the YU Commentator last year uh, about trying to make the Hebrew language instruction more serious. And I think it's a growing problem. Wait, isn't it exactly the opposite? Uh, aren't they like going online only? Well, that's, that's what I had heard right, or something which, like that. Correct, which I, I took as a move away from seriousness. That is correct. And I think you guys, uh, Ruby will certainly relate to this also. I, I would say that A, the elementary schools and high schools don't focus on Hebrew language instruction enough. But B, even when students come to Israel for the year, they don't pick up Hebrew. And that's for two reasons. One, they're more totally non-Israeli programs than they used to be. And I admit, I run one of them, so I, it's a little hypocritical of me to complain. But B, even if you go to yeshiva like Ruby and I went to, Johnny, where do you go? Karen Biavna. Oh, all three of us, this is true. Once, if you went to Hezda Yeshiva, you seriously interacted with the Hebrew-speaking environment. As a right? girl, I'm going to say, when I went to Lindenbaum, we had we we I took classes with the with, with the the Buria girls, and now they're okay. totally split. So I'm just going to throw in Thank that female. Shana Alephi, Shana okay, we had so we, we had Sorry, I didn't Israeli want to run roommates. Ruby off the course, but I just wanted to throw in a little bit of, you know, I just wanted to add the female voice in there. No, thank you, Molly. Hundred percent. I, I ap 100%. apologize to the women out there for only speaking about men. I apologize. But uh, in any case, though, but that means you have an amazing thing. You could have a boy who was in a Hezri yeshiva for a year and didn't pick up Hebrew during the year. Okay, I think this is a common phenomenon. I, I wasn't sure if I should say two years. I'm not sure if it's possible to do it for two years. Maybe even two years it's possible. Okay, so that's an amazing thing. And I would say that that's a tremendous loss, right? Because, again, based on everything we've said, but here it's a loss even in deeper. Like, it's not just being able to read Macquarie Shone. Right? Being able to appreciate the history of Torah literature is impoverished if one doesn't speak Hebrew. Right? Uh, All much of scholarship is being written in modern Hebrew. There you go. I mean, you can you can you can read the fact that you can read Sheb Shemaitza does not mean you can read you know any modern Hebrew Torah book. Oh, I, I could. It's unbelievable. I could not agree more. So here we have a whole world of people who are being cut off from great Torah. Like, let's say someone loves Tanakh. Okay, so I'll just pick my current favorite. I think the best writer to knock today is a fellow named Yoni Grossman. Okay, he only publishes, he predominantly publishes in Hebrew. He has like eight Svarim in Hebrew. So if you're not comfortable with reading modern Hebrew, you are totally cut off from a, a uh, treasure trove of good insights into Tanakh. Right, so that I think is a huge problem. And I admit, I, I, it's funny because you could say what I'm doing now doesn't help that necessarily. But I think part of what I'm doing is Beyond, I when you know this content, I'm trying to say you should be able to access the Hebrew language world. And if you can't ac access that world, you're missing something very significant. Okay, should I go on to your second point, or you want someone else want to comment? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, in terms of the opposite, um, look, I, I'm a little biased because I'm also the associate editor of Tradition, but I think very often there have been interesting articles written by rabbis and thinkers from America that Israelis are totally clueless about. 
And then when they start writing about it, all of a sudden there's, oh, there's literature out there, I should, uh, I should look at it. So here's a good example. Uh, we, we mentioned Rabbi Avram Stubb before. Ram Stubb uh, is a prolific fellow. He recently came out with a book on Judaism and vegetarianism. I admit I haven't looked at it yet. I have no position. But Rav Stubb explicitly wrote, what happened when we start to look into it? He discovered that almost all the literature on this issue is in English. Like no one in Hebrew had really taken it on before. And several people had written about it seriously in English. So that's an example where Israelis need to realize that maybe regarding certain issues, you know, the discourse is in America. Just one more example to make uh, Rav Johnny happy for England. Like at one point, the most important book about orthodoxy and homosexuality was written by Rabbi Chaim Rappaport. Right? I'm not sure if it's been superseded since then. So again, if you want to study that, you have to be able to read it in English. So I do think it cuts the other way also, just for the reasons I said before, and it gets more important that the Americans pick up on the Hebrew than the Israelis pick up on the English. So that actually leads me to my la the last question I wrote down. It's interesting that you, like, you said it goes both ways, even though less so, but there, there is some discourse in English. Um, do you perceive that Israelis have any sense that there's any important discussions going on in Chutzaretz and that they would even care to know about these things? Do you think that there's any, any desire to know about these things going the other way? That is a great question. Uh, I, I don't want to generalize, but I think what you're alluding to is true, that there is an unfortunate tendency here to think that Israel is the be-all and end-all and all the, all the spread of good uh, ideas only goes in that direction. I'll just give you one example. Uh, a relative of mine and Molly's, actually, once did uh, shlichut for a few years in an American city. He's a very fine educator. And I remember explicitly him telling me it's good he came because this way he could tell them like all the Israeli ideas of Chinuch. And, and I remember being struck like, wait, your discourse, your conception doesn't have anything. Like, maybe you'll learn something from the school you're in. Like it's inconceivable that American yeshiva education is doing something right that Israelis are getting wrong. So I, if that's what you're alluding to, I'm totally sympathetic. I think I, I, I actually think it's so interesting to me. All the shlichim that come back, they're like wowed by the community was, structure. By the way. I had by, a conversation with the, the cousin that Yitzhi and I are referring to. I had a fascinating conversation with him and his wife, and they had been blown away by all that they had gained from the shlichut experience. So there is like an example of that 180 turn. They had, had no conception that that would happen, and then they came back with like a, like a list of things that they had learned. Yeah. Yeah, look, I totally agree. I, I'll say this in favor of these Israelis. They're not so close-minded that they'll go and insist that they couldn't get anything, right? Once they go, I think they do see that there are interesting things going on in uh, other countries. But I think those that have never left sometimes do get stuck in that conception that all the chinuch and all the, you know, how to run a shul ideas. Like, shul's a good example. Like, even the model of, like, a shul rabbi and a, a community structure. Right. Maybe more Israeli communities could use that. Right. That would be a positive thing, and which I think there is. I have a good friend that came back from Detroit and created a whole organization to train community rabbis based on his experience of what he learned. He's brought it, brought it to dozens and dozens of communities, Israeli communities. I mean, it's not the same. It has to be translated like everything. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, especially um, in the job that I do in Herzog, uh, you, ha you have to explain to Israelis that you have to sort of translate things, but there are things to learn both ways. And uh, I think sometimes that's very often, that sometimes that's forgotten. Johnny, I'll give you the last word. I, I don't want the last word. I want to give it to you. Um, last I, question, I, Amy, the last question. I, I mean, I think this is such an important conversation. I was just thinking, 
about uh, discussion about electricity on Shabbat. I think we're on completely different planes here in Israel because of the challenges we face, the kind of literature that's been written uh, based on what's happening in the army, based on what's happening in our hospitals. Where we are in that conversation is a radically different place to where we are in Chutzaretz. And sure, there are certain things we need to learn from there. I, I agree, there needs to be some kind of cross-fertilization. But there needs to be almost like a core saying, what's going on in terms of electricity on Shabbat in Israeli halachic discourse? And most of them are not Sfarim, as you well know. They're articles in Tchumin. They're small pamphlets sometimes. That's, you know, Rav Rosen, you know, his book is unbelievable, but you won't see his name being thrown around often uh, in Shirim and Chotzaaretz. And you, you kind of wonder, how come? Because really he's written some incredibly definitive articles so that's just one example where i think we're in very very different places just in terms of books themselves um i often find that authors in the states often aren't paying attention to sources that they should be aware of in israel and i agree and and at times vice versa although german israeli writers do a little bit more work in terms of figuring out I'll, I'll shout out two people one an older book one just came uh, to my house a couple of days ago michael harris's book a faith without fear I, I, one of the reasons i loved it is because he quoted from both diaspora thinkers israeli thinkers and just now it happens to be also another brit sam liebens his new book that's published by margit also both diaspora thinkers and israeli thinkers however I have many of the kind of Orthodox Forum series, and, and that's really not the case. In some of those articles, it really should be, uh, you know, a taking from wisdom, uh, not just from the States, but also from elsewhere. And I wish that if a person's going to take the, make the effort to write a whole book on something, you know, do the work. Nowadays, information has never been easier to access because you will be surprised and the ideas you, you know, encounter will enrich you. Uh, and that, I think, would be to the benefit of all concerned. Okay, can I get the, get the last word? Okay, of first of all, I just want to thank the three of you because it's been a very enjoyable and actually helpful conversation to spur my thinking on this. Uh, Johnny, you, you missed an opportunity for a terrible pun. You said when it comes to electricity, we're not on the same plane. You should have said we're not on the same wavelength. I think that was the way to go. Oh, okay. you know, that's why you're smart to me. What I found my engineer to add in the rim shot. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things I'm realizing from the, what the three of you are saying is that I, I, I very much like that Ruby used the word translation in a different sense. In some, to some degree, what I've been doing till now is just translation in, in terms of words, right? Just a language mm -hmm. translation. But I think what emerges from all three of you is that there's a cultural translation that's also oh, without a doubt, without so, a doubt. In the educational material that we produce, it, it, Israelis speak in one language and they, they cannot understand how what they're saying. I'm not talking about like words. I'm talking about concepts or ideas or methodologies, how it's perceived. And, and that, I think, reflects back to the, the, the part of the challenge that Molly referred to at the very beginning. Like it, it's, it's a really open question whether that could even be overcome. I mean, you could try, you could try to explain it, but how do you translate something you know, into a totally different cultural uh, worldview and understanding and perspective? It's a, it's a big challenge. Maybe something that you should work on in your, in your summaries to try to explain yeah. the, you know, the background. So I'm gonna think about it more now, how it's not just a language translation, but a cultural translation also. And maybe I could just end with a call. Uh, I call on thinkers and writers who are either in Israel or America to like take a peek, see what's happening across the ocean, and especially Americans to think about how they're going to work on their Hebrew skills. Right? You shouldn't need me. I shouldn't be summarizing for you. Right? You should be able to read it in the original. I'll close with that.
a clarion call for more Ivrit, I'm all in favor. Okay, well, we want to thank you very much, Rabbi Blau, for joining us. It's really been a pleasure having you, raising this issue. I want to thank Rabbi Malibrevsky and Rabbi Johnny Solomon for being with us. I want to thank our listeners for giving us those all those five-star recommendations on the iTunes app. Uh, if any of you out there haven't done it yet, now would be a good time so more people can find us on the podcast. If anybody has questions or comments, feel free to do it on the Facebook. I want to thank my son for our music. Have a great week, everybody.